Welcome to the Missouri Historical Society's audio description of Vietnam at War and at Home. This is the third of three Access MHS audio description kiosks. It is located on the back or west wall of the at home gallery. This kiosk will describe two artifacts that exemplify life and popular culture in the United States near the end of the Vietnam War, which are located in Section 3, The News and the Reaction, 1961-1968. It will also describe six iconic images of the Vietnam War that are in a physical flipbook interactive immediately to the left of this kiosk, as well as describe and read several condolence letters sent to military families following the death of their sons. This description is approximately 15 minutes long. If you would like to listen on your own device, you can find this description and more by searching for the Missouri Historical Society on SoundCloud and navigating to the Playlists tab. The News and the Reaction, 1961-1968 The 1960s was a turbulent decade in St. Louis with local events echoing revolutions happening across the country. An escalating number of enlistments and draftees over the decade fulfilled ever-expanding military needs. While the U.S. government asserted it was winning the war, it had little to support its claims. Images in print and on television screens brought home the war like never before. As American casualties climbed, the anti-war movement gained momentum and was bolstered by other political and social movements. Artifacts of Cultural Life in the 1960s and 1970s To the left of this kiosk is a large artifact case with furniture, clothing, and objects that would have been found in a typical American home at this time. Two of these artifacts will be described. Behind the artifacts is a black-and-white photograph of the interior of a 1970s-era American home, with wood-paneled walls and a large picture window. Magnavox Stereo Console Cabinet At the lower right side of the case is a Magnavox Stereo Console Cabinet, which is slightly over 4 feet long and about 27 inches high. It is made from highly polished, warm brown wood with a strong grain. The cabinet is mounted on four small legs. The front is divided into five sections. On either end is a brown mesh material that conceals internal speakers. Between these mesh panels are three cabinet doors of equal size, each with a simple arch shape carved around the outside. A brass ring mounted just above the center of each door serves as a handle. The top of the cabinet has two sliding panels. A small metal tab at each end makes it easy to slide the panels to one side, revealing the interior. The left side of the cabinet opens to show a space to store records, while the right side opens to reveal a built-in record player and radio. The radio dial is presented vertically, with FM numbers on the left and AM on the right. To the right is a series of gold and silver dials to adjust audio settings, including tuning, volume, input, bass, and treble. Farther right and lower down is the turntable, with a decorative gold-tone arm. Displayed in this turntable is a 45 RPM record of Crosby, Stills, Nash & Young's Ohio, an anti-war anthem that was released in June 1970, just a month after the shootings at Kent State University that inspired it. Have a happy day, alarm clock. On a platform behind and slightly above the stereo console is a circular vintage alarm clock that is mounted on thin brass legs and topped with two brass bells connected by a wire handle. 
The face of the alarm clock is bright yellow with a smiley face printed on it. Printed below the smile are the words, have a happy day. The clock numbers are white and the pointed black hands are positioned to resemble a mustache above the smile. A small brass key at the top of the clock serves to wind it. Iconic images of the Vietnam War. Directly to the right of this kiosk is a physical interactive flipbook with six well-known and high-impact photographs of the Vietnam War. These images are icons of the era and help shape the trajectory of the war and its aftermath. All six will be described. As images of the activities of war, these descriptions may be disturbing and traumatizing to some visitors. Tet Execution After opening the flipbook, on the first right-hand page is a grainy black-and-white photograph that was taken by Associated Press photographer Eddie Adams on February 1, 1968. It depicts the execution of Nguyen Van Lame, a Viet Cong prisoner, at point-blank range by Brigadier General Nguyen Nac Lone, chief of the South Vietnamese National Police, on the streets of Saigon, now Ho Chi Minh City. The two men stand arm's length apart on a nearly deserted city street. General Lone's back is to the camera, and he wears a wrinkled uniform shirt with the sleeves rolled up past the elbow. His close-cropped hair blows slightly in the breeze as he calmly looks down the length of his outstretched arm. The snub-nosed pistol in his hand recoils slightly from the force of the bullet that Lone just fired. The prisoner, Nguyen Van Lame, faces the camera with his hands restrained behind his back. His face contorts slightly as the bullet enters his skull. His short-sleeve plaid shirt whips slightly in the wind. A South Vietnamese soldier in full fatigues stands behind Lone, looking on with a grimace. The photograph was published across the U.S. and around the world, bringing the brutality of war to the home front. It won the Pulitzer Prize for Spot News Photography in 1969. My Lai Massacre on the next page is a color photograph taken by U.S. Army photographer Ron L. Haberly on March 16, 1968, following the mass murder of innocent Vietnamese women and children by American soldiers at My Lai, a village in South Vietnam. It depicts more than a dozen bodies, including many babies and young children, heaped on a narrow dirt road between two fields of long grass. The corpses are piled haphazardly on top of each other, heads and limbs so tangled that it is difficult to determine where one body begins and another ends. The women are barefoot, and the babies and toddlers wear only shirts. The body closest to the photographer lies in the fetal position, arms curled protectively over the face. Blood from a head wound pools into mud on the dusty road. This image was not published until months later when rumors of the massacre began to circulate. Many soldiers were criminally charged, but only platoon leader Lieutenant William Calley Jr. was convicted, and President Nixon ultimately commuted his sentence. The incident propelled the anti-war movement and contributed to the growing disapproval of the war by many Americans. The Kent State Massacre On the opposing right-hand page is a black-and-white photograph that was taken on May 4, 1970, by John Philo, at the time an undergraduate photojournalism student at Kent State University. On that day, four other undergraduate students were shot and killed by members of the Ohio National Guard during a peace rally on campus protesting American military actions in Cambodia. 
Nine more students were wounded, one of whom was permanently paralyzed. The photograph was taken in the immediate aftermath of the shooting. The body of a young man, 20-year-old Jeffrey Miller, lies face down on a paved road. A young woman, 14-year-old Marianne Vecchio, kneels behind him and screams, her eyes clenched and her arms outstretched. She holds her right hand over Miller's body, palm up, and with her left hand she reaches towards a young man standing next to her, who wears a fringed suede jacket and cropped bell-bottom jeans. His long hair obscures his face as he looks toward Vecchio. About a dozen more college students are spread across the lawn behind Miller and Vecchio. Those closest turn to look at the scene unfolding in front of them with expressions of shock and horror. Campus buildings and bare trees fill the background. The photograph won the 1971 Pulitzer Prize for spot news photography and greatly influenced the shifting tide of public opinion against the ongoing war. Accidental Napalm On the next page is a black-and-white photograph taken on June 8, 1972 by Associated Press photographer Nick Ut. It shows a group of children fleeing in terror after a South Vietnamese plane accidentally dropped napalm on the town of Trang Bang, near Saigon in South Vietnam. Five children run down a wet road between two fields. In the center is nine-year-old Phan Thi Kim Phuc. She is completely naked, screaming and flapping her arms as she runs through a puddle. In front of her, to the left, is a boy of about the same age wearing a short-sleeve white shirt and shorts. He wails as he runs, the shape of his mouth exactly like the classical tragedy mask. Two more children chase behind him, a girl about the same age as Kim Phuc, wearing a simple white shirt and black pants, holds the hand of a younger boy. Falling behind the others is a toddler in an oversized white button-up shirt. He looks back as he runs, turning toward the four South Vietnamese soldiers in fatigues and helmets who walk behind the fleeing children with rifles at their sides. Dark smoke billows in the background. This photograph won the 1973 Pulitzer Prize for spot news photography. Welcome Home On the opposing right-hand page is a black-and-white photograph that was taken on March 17, 1973, by Associated Press photographer Sal Vader. It depicts the moment that released prisoner of war Lieutenant Colonel Robert L. Sturm is reunited with his family at Travis Air Force Base in Fairfield, California. Sturm wears a U.S. Air Force uniform and flight cap. He walks across the airfield from the left side of the frame, facing away from the camera and reaching out toward his 15-year-old daughter Lori who leaps toward him with her arms outstretched and a huge grin. Close behind her, Sturm's two sons, younger daughter and wife Loretta, jog toward Sturm with eager smiles. Fall of Saigon The final page features a grainy black-and-white photograph that was taken from a distance by United Press International photographer Hugh Van S. on April 29, 1975. It depicts an Air America crew member helping South Vietnamese evacuees up a ladder into a helicopter from the roof of an apartment building on Ja Long Street shortly before Saigon fell to advancing North Vietnamese troops. The flat roof of the apartment building has a small cabin on a raised platform in the center. The American helicopter perches on the small flat roof of the cabin, and a metal ladder with handrails has been set up from the lower part of the roof to the door of the helicopter. 
about a dozen people clamber up the ladder while another dozen crowd around the base of the ladder on the roof below. An Air America crew member on the upper tier of the roof leans over and reaches out to the people at the top of the ladder, ready to pull them up and help them into the waiting helicopter. Service Families To the right of this kiosk and around the corner is a large artifact case that focuses on artifacts related to the families of American service members. One artifact from this case will be described. In front of the case is a rail with images of four condolence letters and one telegram informing family members of the death of a loved one. Three of these will be described and read aloud. Gold Star Mother's String Art Mounted on a tall riser at the far right of the case is framed artwork that recreates the crest of the American Gold Star Mothers, with a central five-pointed gold star surrounded by a circular spray of laurel leaves. The Gold Star Mothers are an organization open to any American woman who has lost a child in active service in the U.S. military. The string art crest is crafted from thin metallic gold threads wound around pins stuck into a white felt background. For many years, the local chapter of the Gold Star Mothers met upstairs here in Soldier's Memorial. Letter to the Parents of David Barnes Farthest to the left on the rail is a letter typewritten on official White House stationery and dated March 21, 1964. It is signed by President Lyndon B. Johnson and reads as follows. Dear Mr. and Mrs. Barnes, I have heard with deep regret of the death of your son, Private David P. Barnes, U.S. Marine Corps, as the result of injuries suffered in an accidental explosion during a training exercise on the Marine Corps base at 29 Palms, California, on March 7, 1964. David was a fine young man whose death is a great loss not only to his loved ones, but to his country as well. The nation is deeply grateful for your son's contribution to the cause of freedom. Mrs. Johnson joins me in extending to you our sincere sympathy. Sincerely, Lyndon B. Johnson. Letter to Mrs. Frances O'Brien to the right of the Barnes letter is a typewritten letter dated September 4, 1967. The header indicates that the letter is from Company L, 3rd Battalion, 1st Marines, 1st Marine Division in San Francisco. It reads as follows. Dear Mrs. O'Brien, This is in reply to your letter of 28 August 1967. I will try to tell you what I know of John's death. At the time your son died, Captain Joseph W. Gibbs III was in command of L Company. I took command of L Company from Captain Gibbs in August. As you may know, he has a great deal of respect for John, as both a Marine and a man. Most of the men who were with John when he died have since been transferred. You should have heard from Lance Corporal Michael M. O'Mara by now, as he was one of John's close friends. The circumstances surrounding John's death have been obtained from those men who were with him that night. John was on night patrol with the 2nd Platoon of L Company when he died. The platoon was traveling south along a road, and they had to maneuver to the right into a tree line. John moved further up the road to provide security for the left flank of his platoon. Although I did not personally know John, I understand it was not unusual for him to do this, as he was always thinking of the welfare of his buddies. As he moved up the road, he stepped on a mine. Death was instantaneous. I wish there were more I could say to comfort you and Mr. O'Brien. 
The only thing I can say is everyone who knew John said he was a fine Marine and a fine man. I am only sorry that I was not able to know John. I assure you that you can be very proud of your son. I can also assure you that the men of L Company have not forgotten him. I realize that there is little or nothing I can say which will ease the pain you and Mr. O'Brien are suffering. I wish to personally thank you for remembering the men of L Company in your thoughts and prayers. This means very much to us. I hope you and Mr. O'Brien will again accept the sympathy of L Company. If I can be of any further assistance, please do not hesitate to write. Sincerely, Thomas S. Hubble, Captain USMC Commanding. Telegram to the parents of Elmer Riefschneider. On the far right of the rail is a telegram typewritten on a Western Union slip. It is dated January 31, 1966, and reads as follows. Mr. and Mrs. Elmer J. Riefschneider, report delivery, don't phone. 1403 Peabody Court, St. Louis. The Secretary of the Army has asked me to express his deep regret that your son, Sergeant First Class Elmer J. Riefschneider, died in Vietnam on 29 January 1966 as the result of gunshot wounds of the chest and abdomen incurred while on a combat operation when ambushed by a hostile force. Please accept my deepest sympathy. Your daughter-in-law will furnish instructions for the disposition of your son's remains. J.C. Lambert, Major General, USA, the Adjutant General. This concludes the third of three Access MHS audio description kiosks. Thank you for listening to the Missouri Historical Society's audio description of Vietnam at War and at Home. Find yourself here.